Disobedience has consequences that we must learn to wrestle with. I have three memories of Dallas, Texas, and they all give me the chills when I think of them. When we visited the book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald shot President Kennedy, we climbed a stairway with a slatted banister. We told our daughters, don't stick your head in between the banister posts. My youngest took it as a suggestion and boy did she get stuck. Later in the day, we were in a high-rise building downtown. After looking at the sights on the top floor's observation deck, we headed for the elevator. My youngest girl thought she'd run ahead onto the elevator. While standing alone looking at us, the doors closed and we listened to the sounds of screams fading into the distance. Again, she hadn't listened to us to wait. Just as a young child often fails to listen to mom and dad, so, the human dilemma called sin, came from one basic failure. Adam and Eve didn't take God's word seriously when he said, don't eat from this tree. They did anyway, and ever since then, man's fundamental problem has been one of doubting God's word and then experiencing the consequences. Today, we're going to get some help with those consequences. One of the consequences of unbelief and sin can be sickness. We're going to get some in-depth perspective on this in a moment, but first let's find out what happened to a young girl lost in downtown Dallas. When she got on that elevator, we frantically tried to get another ride down. Between that floor and the ground were many floors that this particular ele elevator didn't open up on. They were private residences on those floors. As we went down, the ground floor greeted us with hundreds of busy people walking through the indoor shopping area. The man at the information window was zero help to us, so we split up and searched. I went up the elevator and discovered a floor above the observation deck that had a bar. When I opened the door, the man who greeted me must have understood perfectly when I asked about my little girl. He said, you must mean the one with a healthy set of lungs. She was really screaming. We were reunited with the addition of a free t-shirt to the reunion tower. What was strange was that to us, it sounded like she was descending in the elevator, but actually she was going up. Problem solved, and a year of our life was removed, I think, from our allotted time on earth. Isn't it interesting how it seems like we're going down when in reality we're going up? I know it may be a poor segue into a vital question, but there are times when what seems to be the worst part of our life our afflictions can turn out to be the beginning of the best part of our lives. Right up front, does God use sickness for his purposes? Well, I see the child born blind, and when the question was asked, who sinned? Jesus replied, no one, but this sickness was for the glory of God. Then I read the verse, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, I have kept thy word. And then the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them all the Lord delivers them. The righteous can be afflicted, and it's not because of their unrighteousness necessarily. Then the scriptures say, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Note that the Bible doesn't mean that everyone that is afflicted is a fool but the foolishness of neglecting God can lead to affliction. Paul says that for this reason, some are weak, some are sick, and some have died. 
Therefore, judge yourselves so that you are not judged with the world, he says. The psalmist picks this up and says, When they sought the Lord, he sent his word and healed them, and delivered them, and saved them from all of their distresses. One of the consequences of sin in the earth is sickness, and God has allowed it. He uses it to draw men to the realization that sickness is a sign that men have doubted God's word, haven't taken seriously, and that they need to consider their right standing with him. Just imagine a God who would never let us experience the consequences of sin so that we never knew of the cancer that resides in our souls. The result would be that at the end of our days, we would find out that hell awaits us. Far from merely punishing us, God allows the hardness of this life to wake us up to a far greater heavenly reality. God told me a couple of years ago that he was going to heal me, but that it would take a long time. Oh, he could have just zapped me like he often does with people, but he didn't. He had a purpose in allowing the time of waiting. It could have been a test of my faith. It could have been for the purpose of drawing me closer to him. I can't say for sure all the time, but in looking at the fruit, it has caused my faith to grow and my patience to enlarge. The lack of a manifestation of healing in no way meant to me that God was refusing to heal my body. I can also attest to the fact that I am far closer to the Lord than I have been at any other time in my life. All of what the devil meant for evil against me, by God's grace alone, it has turned out for the better, by far. God used the sickness for his purposes instead of allowing the devil to use it for his own plans. Healing for the life of a man is more than the body. It is more than being justified freely by grace from the sin that plagues us. Sanctification is another work of grace that has two components. It's instantaneous by grace at salvation, but it's also a progressive work as we put on the new man day by day. As justification by faith breaks the guilt of sin, so sanctification breaks the power of the canceled sin in the flesh. It sets us apart. This is a work of refinement by faith that takes time. It's a life journey that takes on the form of a pathway to healing. That's why some healings take a long time. Samson was a man who had great power, a man whose power was exemplified by the length of his hair. It was his Nazarite vow that kept him strong in the power of God. His whole life was a clear symbol of how we must maintain a walk of separation, of sanctification, to keep what God has freely given us. First, the blood on the doorpost, then the journey in the wilderness to separate them from the world that just spit them out. That was Israel's pathway to greatness, but their unbelief kept them in a place of defeat. That first generation never learned to trust when the goal was still a long way off. It was something that Abraham would take years to learn as well. It was also something that his grandson would struggle for years to finally learn. But the victory for Jacob was forged in the struggle. The healing is like the carrot at the end of the stick. The chase is the race that gives us the strength to face the life in front of us. That life is our calling. You've probably forgotten, but I mentioned three chilling memories from Dallas, Texas. The third was the day I sat in an attorney's office. 
It must have been twenty stories up, and as I faced this man across his large mahogany desk, the Dallas skyline shone through the eight-foot-high windows behind him. My heart was in my throat. We were out of money, and I needed to know my options. We were on our way back to Minnesota for our oldest daughter's wedding as we faced the loss of all that we had left. Why was God allowing this? My faith journey had left our family on the verge of homelessness, but to make a long, long story short, God would use a bad situation to forge in us a nearness to Him and a surrender and a strength by which I knew in later years would establish an authority over human darkness that could stand the storms ahead. God is the kind of a God where the decisions we make in life, whether good or bad, do not have to determine our destiny or our joy. Rather, He uses them to forge in us His power, and He shows us that it's not our decisions, but His decision to take care of us and bless us with the power and love that created the universe that really makes the difference. Faith to walk out the journey that is in front of us and to show the world the loving care and faithfulness of God is what our calling is all about. At the end of the day, it's not how well we have established our own reputation and successes that matters one bit. We are vessels of God's glory, shown in the lives of ordinary, sometimes failing people that can witness to who He is, not merely who we are. Life can ultimately find us filled with many regrets of what we could have done, or who we could have been. But we have the wonderful privilege of realizing, that our lives are intended to represent the life of Christ, in all of His mercy. Our life is not about showing anyone what we have done, but, what Jesus has done, as we seek to reflect His grace.